That'd be it. Can you hear? You can hear the wind coming through the microphone. Gives it a Sea of Galilee feel, so it's good. I'll just go for it. Okay. Um, if you've noticed, the sermons have been a little bit shorter as we've been enjoying these outdoor services. So uh, today will be similar. You're welcome. Uh, if you want to open up to Mark chapter two, we'll start there. When I was about ten years old, my family went on a vacation to Lake Powell up by the border of Arizona and Utah. And a uh, wonderful week uh, on a houseboat with some friends and uh, spent the week you know, fishing and boating and swimming and camping out in the coves uh, with the vermilion cliffs surrounding us. Beautiful week. One of the last nights, one of the last days, uh, my dad was water skiing and, uh, you know, probably showing off. I don't know. But as he was water skiing, uh, the boat turned and he was jumping the wake and it was like one of the last runs of the, of the week, like it always is. Tripped over the wake, went head first into the next one and it snapped his neck back. Uh, knocked him out, went under the water. As he came to, uh, his whole body went numb, couldn't feel his legs and his arms. Luckily, had a life vest on, slowly floated up back to the top. When the boat finally figured out where he was, Started talking to him, realized that he had no feeling in his limbs. Everyone started panicking. I remember being back on the shore wondering what was going on as they were trying to figure out what to do with him. Finally got him back onto the shore. And uh, it was like just, I, I remember as like a 10-year-old, just panic, crazy, wondering what was happening, uh, fear, uh, terrifying. And uh, eventually what they did is they called in a helicopter, came in to the canyon to Lake, Lake Powell, air him back all the way to Phoenix, um, and then as he was in the hospital, he was, they, they realized how close he was to being paralyzed. I can't remember the surgery. I think they took part of his hip and rebuilt his neck, which is why he's kind of funny looking now. Um, but he ends up, ends up, you know, getting all of his, his feeling back and makes his full recovery from it. Uh, but it's absolutely this terrifying moment. I remember when the helicopter was leaving, wondering if my dad would ever walk again. And, you know, so thankful for our 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 you know, modern transportation that a helicopter could fly all the way into Lake Powell, deal with the cliffs, uh, pick up someone, air vacuum 400 miles back to Phoenix. So grateful for medical technology that they could figure out how to put his neck back together. And uh, one thing I learned at a very early age is that neck injuries are serious. Spine injuries are, are very serious. And uh, so serious that they would fly a helicopter into the canyon at Lake Powell to, to pick someone up and air vac them out. And uh, the, the urgency of that moment, the fear of what happened, I, 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 wanna, I, I, I remember just what, what that felt like emotionally. And as we turn to the chapter in Mark today, I want us to, to be reminded of that. Neck injuries are serious. Because in Mark chapter 2, there's another story about a desperate situation. And I've never really thought about it. Uh, and, until I started to, to really dig into what's going on here, of the urgency of this moment. Um, in Mark chapter 2, this read this with me. Well, it's the first 12 verses. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them, and since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the man, the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, 
He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking such things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, turn on the music. (laughs) This is a great moment. Take your mat and go home. And he got up. And he took his mat and he walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Pretty wild story. A story that you read it when you're in Sunday school and it's somewhat humorous, funny to to think that they would just break into this meeting and uh, get healing for their friend. Um, But I want to make a couple observations about this passage and then Look at the four characters that are in this story, because I think we can learn something from, from each of them. But uh, this story takes place in Capernaum. Uh, it's this uh, fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. We've been talking about so much of Mark's story of Jesus takes place in this town. And Jesus has uh, just finished a, a series of stories where he's healing people. And, uh, it, and he's kind of taken a tour of these different synagogues, and, and now he's back home. And you think like maybe he's relaxing, but as soon as he gets home, the crowds show up. Um, and I think in the Gospel of Luke, it tells this story and it says, all the Pharisees and the teachers and the law show up to hear from Jesus. And uh, this would make sense for the hospitality of the day because this was a very public community. Uh, life, life was just very open. And if you would open your door in the morning, that meant whoever, whoever your neighbors were, whoever, whoever wanted to could just come inside and visit. Um, I'm living on a street that's kind of like that right now, which is odd for Phoenix, but there's a bunch of children on our street and they all play together. And so Saturday morning, it'll be like 8 a.m. and, you know, Mike Peck's grandchildren are at our house and I'll look outside and our neighbors are on our trampoline and it's totally cool. Like, um, but, but this was a culture that that just happens all the time. There's, there's hospitality and people just show up and they're in your house and, and Jesus is done with his tour of the synagogues, and he's, he's teaching. And they show up, and the crowd is so large that they're outside of the door. And, uh, and then you have this, this random, you know, situation where these, these guys show up with a man that's paralyzed. And we don't know exactly what the severity is of this, but the thought is that if it's this urgent from their friends, um, this guy's probably in a wretched situation. And unlike today, back then, if you have an accident and you snap your neck, uh, you, you know, you're not going to get the best medical care and uh, you're not going to get an air vac to the hospital. Um, you're probably not going to live very long. And so my guess is that these friends know how bad of a situation this is. It doesn't really tell us how severe uh, the paralysis is, but, but my assumption is that they're desperate and they're trying to get to Jesus. And then... They go and they, they tear open this roof, uh, which, you know, the, the roofs back then, they, they have these beams on top of them and they're filled with clay. So it probably wasn't that, uh, you know, hard of a, uh, an endeavor, but they tear open, you know, whoever's house it is, they tear open the roof and they lower this man down. And then uh, Jesus looks at him, he says, your son, son, your sins are forgiven, which you're like, that's probably not why they brought him there. And thanks, you know. 
that's good. Uh, but when he says that, what's interesting is these, these uh, teachers of the law, these Pharisees, uh, that like triggers them. They're upset. And when they hear Jesus say that, uh, they start murmuring and asking these questions. Like, why would he do that? Because to make a statement like that is something that only God can do to forgive sins. So they're upset with what Jesus is claiming here. And it creates this controversy. And it, and it starts this relationship between Jesus and these teachers of the law that will find kind of haunts them throughout Mark. In fact, there's five controversial stories that happen in a row, and this is the first of them, where Jesus just sets off these Pharisees. And he, he, he asks them a question. What's easier to do, to say this man's sins are forgiven or to ask the man to heal? Well, we know spiritually it's a lot harder to forgive someone of their sins, right? If it's only something God can do. But it's probably harder to say, rise and walk, you're, you're healed. Because that requires this tangible result that shows evidence that you have the authority to do that. And then Jesus says to the man, rise. And he gets up and he walks out. And it's this proof of, of who he is and what he's up to in this world. And uh, a fascinating story. Uh, I can't imagine how uh, intense the whole thing would have been. These are real people, you know, seeing this in real time. And when you see these miraculous things happen, it's, it's this reminder that the kingdom of God has drawn near in the life of Jesus. And there's these glimpses of uh, the kingdom of God where, where there's healing and there's forgiveness and there's restoration. So what do we learn from these four characters? The first one is Jesus. What do we learn from Jesus in this story? Um, a lot, I think. First of all, we see this increasing attractiveness uh, in the presence of Jesus, that he has this drawing power. Crowds are drawn to him. There's something that is just um, compelling about his life and his teaching and, and the things that he's doing. There's this attractiveness about him, which, which hopefully is true of the church today, that the body of Christ is this thing that is compelling and, and people are, are wanting to be in the presence of it. But Jesus makes this claim to forgive the sins of this man, which is a divine claim. And what you find oftentimes in Mark is Jesus is somewhat mysterious about his identity, but not right here. When he says, son, your sins are forgiven, he's claiming something that only God can do. Jesus knows this would have triggered the religious leaders. Jesus knows that this would have put him in, in a bad situation with them because of what the claim was. It's a bold claim that only God can make. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis one of my favorite authors, uh, his trilemma, which is uh, when Jesus makes these claims about himself, what it does for the audience is you either have to take him at its word that he's Lord, or you got to think of him as a lunatic, a madman that would think that he's God, or he's just a liar. And he's just fooling everybody. When Jesus makes a claim like this, all of us have to have a response. Is this man a liar or a lunatic, or is he Lord? Is he really doing what he is saying that he's, done, he's here to do. And what we find is that Jesus, he, he, here's what he does in the story. He reads the hearts of all the people. Jesus reads our hearts. He looks at our hearts. And he looks at the heart of this man who's paralyzed. He looks at the hearts of the Pharisees. Jesus is, he judges us by what's inside of us. He knows what's going on. Jesus heals our sickness. He heals the brokenness of this man. Um, restores him physically. And then Jesus forgives our sins. He has the authority to do that. And, and this is, would have been so hard for them to understand. This is before the cross. But, but Jesus reads our hearts. He, he meets our needs. He forgives our sins. It, it reminds us that Jesus is good. 
And it also reminds us that Jesus meets our most important needs. The first thing he does with this guy is he, he forgives him of his sin. There's something eternal here that happens. And then he meets his physical needs. But there's something holistic in how Jesus is, is meeting people and their needs and bringing about restoration. You might say that Jesus fixes the internal problem before he fixes the external problem. Or maybe that he fixes the eternal problem before he fixes the external problem. But it shows us that Jesus is good. Then what we learn from the paralyzed man, uh, who doesn't get to say anything and doesn't get to have a name, uh, who comes in lame and leaves walking, the first thing we learn is that he has good friends, right? These people care about him enough to carry him, to, to disrupt this whole meeting, to, that, that, that they, they would do anything they can to get this guy into the presence of Jesus. And, and I have to think that there's an urgency here because of the state that he's in. He's desperate. He's absolutely desperate. And I think what we learn is that desperation, desperation drives us to the presence of Jesus where true healing and life is found. Desperation drives us to, to Jesus' presence where true healing and life is found. And I, I can think about that in my own life. Most of the moments where I have felt closest to God and experience God the strongest are those challenging moments, those challenging seasons. I think we've gone through a year of challenging circumstances. This is a challenging season. And it drives us to the presence of God where there's true healing. And oftentimes we don't go to the presence without that desperation. It doesn't mean that God causes those things to happen, but in those moments we, we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. I, I know in, in my life, one of the hardest years of my life I was just desperate. I, I felt like for God's presence every day. And I journaled every single day and I would write down my prayers. And this is a habit I've had since I was younger. But this year that was so challenging for me, I wrote every single day and I look back on it and I've never felt as close to God as I did that year. That was like the hardest year of my life. And when I look back at it, I'm so grateful for that, the faith that was developed in me in the process of that extremely challenging, desperate season. Desperation, it creates this urgency that drives us into the presence of Jesus where true healing and life is found. And then we also learn this from this paralyzed man is that the worst events in our life can become the best moments for our eternity. The worst events in our life, the things that we think, I don't know if we can come back from this. I don't know if we could recover from this. In the presence of Jesus can turn into some of the best moment, the, the defining moment with our eternal lives. And for this man, being drawn into the presence of Jesus with this urgency, with this desperation, he finds forgiveness for his sin. He finds freedom, and he has this moment of salvation where he meets Jesus. Reminded that in the kingdom of God, we live in this upside-down kingdom where the things that we may think are successful aren't really successful. But whatever we go through, whether it's hardship or difficulty, in the presence of Jesus, God is working something inside of us. God is doing something in us to create in us uh, a new person. And this man becomes a new person. He gets the second chance at life. He probably thought things were over for him. And he gets the second chance. He becomes a new man. Reminded the old story, in the, old, the tes old Testament story of, of Joseph when his brothers... Uh, harm him, 
And at the end of the book of Genesis, we find that everything that he's gone through, he becomes number two in power in the, in the mighty empire of Egypt. And he has this statement to his brothers that you intended me for harm, and, but God has taken those things and intended them for good. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, these beautiful words about what God does for us in the midst of difficult circumstances. He says, what then shall I say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any change against those whom God has, charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from this love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This man is told to rise and walk in Mark, this language of rise up is found throughout, but it's, it's used with resurrection, this new life. We're resurrection people in Jesus. We rise up. We have new life. Then what we learn from the four friends, there might have been more than four. It's kind of like the wise men, but we just know about four of them. Maybe there was a whole group of them. Is that what's interesting here, and this is probably a theology for another sermon, it, their faith, Jesus sees the faith of the friends, and he looks at the man and says, you're your sins are forgiven, which is like, is this salvation by association? Like, what is going on here? But the, the, the faith is so strong in these guys that they come to Jesus, and this, this man is healed. Their faith has saved him. Their faith was persistent. They get to the scene, they can't get to Jesus, and they do whatever they can, whatever obstacle it takes. They're like, we have to get our friend to Jesus. And their faith is persistent. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that Jesus rewards faith that persists in the face of obstacles. It's this ongoing theme where he, he sees people who have this great faith and, and they're rewarded and honored for it. You see this in the story of Jairus in Mark 5 with his daughter. You see this in the father who has a convulsive son, convulsive son in Mark 9, blind Bartimaeus in, in Mark 10. Uh, these, these people have this faith that overcomes obstacles. It's persistent in the midst of hardship, and Jesus responds to it. Their faith was also creative. It had to be for them to figure out how do we get this person to Jesus. The urgency of the moment, uh, it makes them just uninhibited. They're fearless, and they just decide, we're going to do whatever we can to get our suffering friend to Jesus. They go up on the roof. They tear the roof open. They lower the man down. Uh, they, they don't care. Whatever it takes, they're creative enough to figure out a way to get their friend who's suffering to Jesus. And then their faith was sacrificial. Um, I know now roofs cost a lot. I don't know if what they cost back then, but they were going to be responsible for destroying this home. Uh, there was a sacrifice of their reputation. Uh, they're interrupting a very important meeting where Jesus is talking with these religious leaders. They don't care. They don't care that it, whatever it, it takes, they're, they're getting their friend to Jesus. They're willing to sacrifice everything for that moment because of their desperation. Comfort, time, resources, they don't care. They have this persistent faith that says, we have to get this person 
to Jesus. And I wonder if, when it comes to us, are we willing to do that with people, with ourselves, with our family, with our friends? What are we willing to do to bring people to Jesus? And then finally, what we have is the Pharisees. Ah, yes, always the, uh, the trouble people in stories like this. I, I think I probably would have responded the same way. If someone makes this bold claim that only God can make, I think I would have been skeptical, cynical. But what's interesting is there's this miracle breaking out right in front of them, and they're more concerned about like the theology of it. They're, they're triggered by the wording that's being used by Jesus. Uh, and, and what we, we find is that instead of, of love, which Jesus is this embodiment of love, there's this indifference from them. Like something great is happening, and they don't, they're like, why is it's not happening the way we want it to happen? There's indifference instead of love, and, and where there's faith with these friends who bring this guy to Jesus, the, these religious leaders, there's, there's criticism. They're criticizing what's going on here. Instead of having faith, they're critical. So often that happens with uh, the, the work of Jesus when there's this new work happening. Um, I, I find myself like I, I've got God figured out and he's in this box that I've put him in. And when it happens in a way that I, I'm not used to or unsuspecting, I, I, I so often miss it because of my, my cynicism or my need to be right theologically. But here we have these Pharisees that are just murmuring in their hearts and Jesus calls them on it. And what we're going to find over the next few weeks is this relationship that the Pharisees have with Jesus uh, just keeps getting worse and worse. And I think there's something convicting about, uh, for us as, as church people, good church people, as religious people, um, that, that this relationship with Jesus is about freedom. It's about him setting people free. It's about him loving others. When we don't want to miss the work of Jesus, the new works of Jesus in our midst, uh, because of our, uh, our comfort level. So I don't know who you find yourself resonating with in this story. You have Jesus, you have the paralyzed man, you have these friends who will do anything recklessly to get their friend to Jesus. You have these religious leaders, these teachers of the law. I think maybe we identify with them in different ways in our own journey, in our own life. Maybe today uh, you need to, to come to the presence of Jesus and hear these words that you're forgiven, that there's healing. Maybe you've never met Jesus face to face. Today's the first time that you do that. You've never heard these words of him offering restoration and healing. And to trust these words where he says, get up. I offer you this new life, this resurrection life. Maybe you're like this man that was uh, in this desperate situation. You were suffering, you were hopeless, you were at your wit's end, you had no other options. You thought there's no coming back from this. And Jesus just meets you today with new life. Or maybe you're like these friends and you have someone that you know you need to get him to the presence, him or her to the presence of Jesus. And you need to think about how do I, how do, I do this in a way that is persistent and creative and sacrificial so this person can experience the healing and the hope of eternal life. Maybe you're like these religious leaders. That's where I usually identify with the most. Where I can't see the new work that Jesus is doing because I've got my thoughts about who Jesus is, what he's supposed to do, how the Bible works, how, the, how God works. And I'm not open to the surprising new work that Jesus is up to. I'm not sure who you resonate with, but uh, today we just want to take some time to reflect on this story. Let this story get inside of us. This story that is... Uh, such a good story. 
And Tim's going to come back up with the band, and we'll just spend some time in prayer. And let me pray for us as, uh, as they come back up and, and we just contemplate these words. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. We're reminded of your love in this story when you don't mind disruptions. We're reminded of your love when you look at someone who's suffering and you're not worried about what has happened to this per- what has what this person has done to get to this point what the person's reputation is. But you offer new life, a second chance, hope, the resurrection life that comes from your presence. Lord, I pray that we would have the mindset of these friends when it comes to our work as a church, Lord, that we would be uh, persistent with our faith, that we'd overcome any obstacles so that more people can experience your goodness and presence, Lord, that we would be creative, that we would be sacrificial. And Lord, I ask that you would reveal things in our heart when we find ourselves in the shoes of these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes to see the world as you see it, to see people as you see them. Lord, the things that confuse us about your work, we would be filled with wonder and awe. And like these people, we would say, we've never seen anything like this before. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. We're grateful for the life you offer us. We just ask that you would continue to work. In your son's name we pray. Amen.